All right, y'all ready? Okay. If you've got your Bible this evening, go to the book of John. John chapter 1 and verse 1. We are in our second week now of a series that we're calling Follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need the Word. I need the Word this evening, and I hope that it is a blessing to you as it has been to me this week, even as I've been reading and and studying and preparing. 1922. Anybody remember it? No? Okay. Me neither. 1922. A lot of things happened in 1922, but I want to tell you about one that you probably did not know about. In 1922, a lady named Helen Lemmel wrote a hymn. A uh, very famous hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know that one? Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Um, she wrote it because she was inspired by reading the words of another godly woman whose name was Lilius Trotter. And Lilius Trotter was a missionary to the country of Algeria. And in writing about her challenges and her experience in being a missionary in that foreign country, she wrote this, Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look And look at him, and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And so Lilius took that. She ran with it, and she wrote the hymn that we know today. Back in 1922, as part of revival meetings that were happening as a part of Billy Sunday's ministries. Um, I love that song. That song came to mind this week for me in particular. Um, Guys, I don't know what the last, well, I do know what the last six months has looked like for all of you to some degree or another, but I will tell you for me, in trying to lead and pastor our church uh, over the last six months of the pandemic, um, it has been hard. It has been challenging. My heart has been heavy. Um, My heart has struggled in a variety of different ways, as I'm sure yours has as well. Um, I have up days and down days, up weeks and down weeks, which I'm sure you can identify with. Um, Thursday, I was having a down morning, and I did the dumbest thing that I could possibly do, which is I, I scanned the, uh, the headlines to see what was going on in the country and around the world, and, and I saw more that just made me heartbroken. And then I did what I should have done to begin the morning, which was I opened up God's Word, and I, I went to my CBR, my community Bible reading, and Thursday morning was Esther chapter 6, and Revelation chapter 5, Revelation written by John, the same fellow that wrote the gospel that we will be in for the foreseeable future as well. And John writes in Revelation 5, 4, I began to weep because no one could open the scroll. There's this metaphor that he's unfolding in Revelation. But his weeping is quickly replaced. Two verses later in Revelation 5, 6, he says this. I, this, just, this verse has just been with me all week. He says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, I don't know about you, but many, most lambs that are slain do not stand. He's giving us this image of the resurrected Jesus. And he's painting a picture that no artist could ever paint of a, of a lamb that had died and yet was alive and was standing victorious. And then I thought of the song, Turn Your Eyes. Turn Your Eyes on, on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Powerful words that she penned there. 
And so thanks to Shane and Shane and my good friend YouTube, I turned on that very song and I listened to it and I worshiped and I did what John did in Revelation. I just cried. I mean, I just ugly cried for a while just thinking about Jesus. And the things of this earth became dim. And I pray that as we open God's Word tonight in John 1.1 and introduce you afresh to Jesus, that it does the same thing. That His glorious light is on display in a powerful way and that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. John has a story that he wants to tell. He's one of the original 12 followers or disciples of Jesus. He was an eyewitness of all that Jesus was saying and doing, particularly for the three years of his earthly ministry. He saw him die. He saw him rise. And John does it a little bit differently than the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow kind of the same trajectory, and they give you this chronology from beginning to end. But John wants to paint a picture. And it's a picture that no artist could draw. And so it's not necessarily always chronological. He wants to show you different images of the light and the glory and the grace of Jesus. And he's going to do that here initially in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that's referred to as the prologue. And it's just the beginning. And what it's going to do, though, is set the stage for all that we're going to hear about Jesus for the next 22 chapters. He wants to give us just a snapshot of who Jesus is here at the beginning. So let's begin by praying, talking to him. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we desire, Lord, that you might open our eyes to see the glory of your light and your life and your truth, Lord, in a bigger and a more vibrant way. We thank you that because of Jesus that we can see your light, that the light has come to earth And so, Father, we declare our need and our desire for you, Lord, where we have been far off, Lord. Even this evening, as we hear from you, would you draw us back by your love, by your grace, by your holiness, your power. We look to you. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Three applications tonight as we go through this passage and then one kicker at the end. The three applications are this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus because, and here's the three, because of the greatness of Jesus' divinity, the greatness of Jesus' light, and the greatness of Jesus' coming. Number one, let's look at the greatness of Jesus' divinity, and we see this in verses 1 through 3 that I want to read for you now. John 1, 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word was God. Okay, we're back to school this week. Put on your vocabulary hats for a minute, if you will, if you've been out of school for 20 years like me. Put it on anyway. The word, word, right? Let's talk about the word, word. In Greek, that vocab word is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos, and maybe you've studied that. The term logos was, was widely recognized in the Greek world of that day. It was a common phrase for them. It was an everyday term, and it meant for them in their regular conversation 
something like this. It, it was a powerful word, kind of the soul of the universe or the, an all-pervading principle that went throughout life or even um, something supremely great in the universe was the way that they would use this word in their everyday conversation. But John takes this word and he's going to elevate it to another status, but he's going to use something that those people in that culture know to help them begin to understand who it is that has come. So for John, the word is not just a principle. It's a living, breathing human being who is the source of all life, who is God. So he's not going to tell us that Jesus is, is somehow slightly divine or he's a very good person or he's a very good teacher or he's very powerful or he did a miracle once or twice. John wants to tell us that Jesus is God. I am overwhelmed by surveys that Christians are doing. Ligonier Ministries just came back with a survey of evangelical Christians, of evangelical Christians that said almost a third of them responded that they do not believe, in fact, that Jesus is God. Guys, if you lose that, you lose everything. Hear what John is teaching us from his word. Okay, there are many cults among us. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, um, who have worked with, changed, modified the translation here in Greek in order to say these same lies and deceptions. They have changed, in fact, with no justification the Scripture, and what they do is they add, again, vocab, English hats here, they add the definite article, a. What are our articles, a, an, and the? They add in an a where there is not one, thus changing the reading from the word was God to the word was a God. Or in their translation, their English translation, the word was like a God. Do not change the Word of God as it relates to who the Word is. So here in these first three verses, John has a lot that he wants to unpack about who this Jesus is that we can focus our eyes on. He also tells us that the Word is eternally in relationship with God. So the Word was with God. Not only was the Word God, the Word was with God. This is yet another aspect of what we refer to as the Trinity, that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. Is your mind blown? Yes. Why? Because He's God. Look at how Paul explains it to us in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God. Remember, they're speaking to the Jewish, the Israelite nation. Their mind is blown by the reality that Jesus is God. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so, we are told that the Word is pre-existent. In the beginning was the Word. A little bit later... He was in the beginning with God. Okay, take off your vocab hat, put on your grammar hat. Okay, we're going to get fired back up here. Education time. The word, whoo, I didn't expect that. The word was, okay, the word was. In Greek, it is in the imperfect tense. The imperfect tense means was continuing. It means it has always been happening 
and always will continue to happen. And so it is an action with no beginning, an action with no end. All three times here in this opening verse, he is using the same imperfect tense. It says was, literally reads was continuing. One of my commentaries by R. Kent Hughes said this, the best way to read this is Jesus always was wasing. He's always been. He always will be. There was never a time that Jesus Christ did not exist. That is what John is explaining. Colossians 1.17 puts it this way, He is before all things. And it makes our heads spin, right? To try and imagine God who has always been there. Because I am finite, trying to grasp the infinite, the infinite. Little snapshot in our dinner table this week. Lola asked us at dinner earlier this week, Dad, who named the earth Earth? That's a great question, Lola. And as the wonderful parents that we are, we didn't know the answer. And so, of course, we called on a higher power, Siri. Siri, who named the earth Earth? Siri didn't know. We didn't know. So we looked at Lola and we said, Oh, that's a great question. I don't know who named the earth Earth but I know who made the earth. I know who came before the earth, and I know who sustains it with his mighty power and will be till the end of earth and beyond. And she said, okay. Powerful moments at the dinner table. The Word is also, we're told, the Creator. The Word is the Creator. All things were made through him, says the Scripture. He was in the beginning, says the Scripture. Do you remember the first five words of the Bible? Old Testament, first five words, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. You do remember, good job. In the beginning, God created. Colossians 1.16, the New Testament, by Him all things were created. Hebrews chapter 1, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. John is telling us something. Old Testament, in the beginning, God created. New Testament, book of John, in the beginning, the Word created. Math and science cap, you ready? Deep end of the pool. There are apparently from scientists 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. 100 billion stars per galaxy. We believe that there are at least 100 million galaxies in known space. Okay, you guys, you running the numbers here? Albert Einstein, pretty smart guy, right? Smarter than me. Albert Einstein said that he believed that we have scanned one billionth of space. Okay, so if we take those numbers at face value, that would mean that we have, that God has created 10 octillion stars. That's 10 with 27 zeros after it. God created, and it makes our head spin. But guys, look at creation, because Jesus made it. When you stand on a mountain, not in Florida, 
And you look at creation, remember that God made it. When you stand out at the ocean and look out at the vastness where the sky meets the water, remember that God created it. When you open your Bible and read the word of God, when you open up the heavens and pray to him, speak to the God of this universe, remember that he created everything. Everything. It turns your soul's vision to the greatness of God. And the things, the problems, the, the hurts of this world grow strangely dim. Amen? Number two, the greatness of Jesus' light. This is now verses four of this passage through verse 13, a little bit longer. Listen in to what John says next. In him, that is in the word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hallelujah. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. I am not the light. You are not the light. He is the light. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Thank God the passage doesn't end there. Feel a a deep pause there, and then continue verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The light. What you get here from John is light revealed and then light that is rejected and then how to make it light received. It says, in him was life. As we are dying, Our culture is dying for life, true life, real life. Another dinnertime story this week. It's been a hefty week here at the Harris household. Benji, for the first time, as he walks out the door, he he expressed fear for the first time, really, about the coronavirus. His his week going back to school, he's, he's going back to school in person. He says at the dinner table, out of nowhere, he says, I'm afraid to die. How do you respond to that one? As we listen to him, he's, he's starting to get nervous. He's getting choked up. But here's what's going on. Big picture, he is getting educated to the reality of life and death on this earth. 100% of people surveyed will die someday, right? He's thinking about these realities. So we look at him, we said, listen, Son, we're going to take every precaution that we can to be safe, to be wise. And yet at the same time, we're going to trust our Heavenly Father. Because here's what we know about our Heavenly Father. We can trust Him in all circumstances because He promises that He is always with us such that even if we get sick, He's not going to leave us. Even, guys, even if we die, He has promised that He will never Leave us nor forsake us. My hope is not just in not getting sick. My hope is in eternity, in heaven, eternal life. That's what this verse is telling us. 
And me and my six-year-old reveled in that fact together. You know what the Bible says in John 10.10? It says the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I have come to give life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what kind of life? Eternal life. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The light has been revealed, says John. The first words of God in Genesis 1-3. What's the first thing out of God's mouth? Let there be light. Jesus speaking in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Romans chapter 1. His eternal power and divine nature have been made clear since the beginning in creation. So Jesus is today shining all over the world, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through creation, into our hearts, through the power of the living and active Word of God, changing dead hearts to life. Still, today, do you believe that? But then the light was rejected, we're told here. The one who said, let there be light, was rejected as the creator, the one who covered his glorious light in human flesh was rejected. The one who in love came to earth was rejected as a savior. The one who came to save us spiritually from sins was rejected because they wanted a political, earthly savior, not a spiritual one. The one who came for his own people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they rejected him. And if we had been there, we would have done the same thing. We do the same thing every day, save for God's grace in our hearts and lives. Because by God's grace, the light still shines into closed, dead hearts and brings them to life. Only God can do that. God pouring light into dark places. It says the darkness meaning these spiritual forces of Satan did not overcome, did not overpower the light, right? It tried. Historically, it happened, right? They tried, but in a garden called Gethsemane, Jesus willingly gave himself up. In a hill called Golgotha, Jesus willingly died. And in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus rose again from the dead. He's alive. He's the light. And the scripture says that that light can be received by believing in Jesus as the Son of God and as the Savior of sinners. It says that he gives the right to be reborn as children of God into the family. The new birth, he's going to tell us in John chapter 3 about a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus and he's going to learn all about the new birth and Nicodemus is going to come to understand he can't do that. He can't make himself be reborn. It's a miracle and in so doing it helps us understand that it rules out all human effort. I can't save myself. I can't make this work. It rules out all human initiative. God must 
make me reborn, nothing I can do to earn it. Nothing I can do to pay for it. Nothing I can do to impress God. Nothing I can do to deserve it or accomplish it. It is grace. It's a free gift. As today is the day to receive the free gift that Jesus himself, the only one who could offer it, does offer it. Believer, I would say to you, if you are feeling overwhelmed by the darkness then in this world, turn your eyes upon Jesus and let the things of this world go dim. Number three, the greatness of Jesus coming. John's got a couple more verses to finish out the reality of what is taking place in his lifetime. He's an eyewitness to this, and he says this in verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, again John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John is rejoicing over the greatness of Jesus coming. The word that we use to describe this moment is the incarnation. And John explains it word for word that Jesus, the Son of God, became man and came down to save us. That the very word of God took flesh for our salvation. And it says that he dwelled with us. He literally, the word is, pitched his tent among broken humanity. He literally tabernacled among us. Remember that word, if you know your Old Testament, it's the same word. He tabernacled among us, meaning that Jesus is a new and a greater tabernacle. That is the place in the Old Testament where God would meet with his people. He is a new and a greater Moses who provides grace and truth and not only, not simply the law. He is a new and a greater Shekinah glory is what's taking place here. No one could see God, the glory, the light of God. We're told in the Old Testament, it would kill you. Exodus 33, God says, you cannot look at me. It would kill you. But now you can see God face to face. His name is Jesus. And he brings grace on top of grace. Grace that saves you and then grace that changes you. Grace that justifies you and in grace that sanctifies you, grace to forgive your sins, and grace to give you victory over the sin and the struggles in your life. Grace on top of grace. And then finally, John uses his name. Did you notice, up until this point, John has not brought in his name. After this moment, John will cease to use the term logos. He doesn't use it a single time again in the entire book. From this point forward, he talks to us about Jesus of Nazareth, a real man who was and is God. Jesus is the 
exegesis of God. Jesus is the explanation of God, the very word of God the Father. Jesus is God, and John wants you to know it. In case there's any doubts, at the end of the book, the last scene in all of John, or very nearly the last scene in all of John, is this guy, Doubting Thomas. You know about Doubting Thomas? The man who said, I will not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless I see it. I have to put my hands in the holes that are in his hands. I have to put my hand into his side and feel that wound where a spear went into his side. Jesus is dead and I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And then Jesus showed up. And the words that Thomas uses in that moment, he says, my Lord and my God. The two words in all of Greek that mean God, kyrios, Lord, theos, God, This man is God. Even Thomas now believes. And we can too. So when you are overwhelmed, brothers and sisters, by the hurts in this world, remember that Jesus has come. Let him come and dwell with you in every day, everyday life. A bonus Promise the bonus. Here's the bonus. Number four, finally, very quickly, the call to witness. What do we do with all this? I've seen Jesus. I understand who he is. How do I take it from something I know in my head that radiates out of me with my life? Well, John wants to use the word witness. See, this guy, John the Baptist, shows up all over the place in this prologue. And his whole mission, as we saw last week, was to make new followers of Jesus. John the Baptist was super, super loved and super, super hated. But he didn't make it about him. He made it about Jesus. Six times in John chapter 1, it will tell us that John the Baptist was a witness. A witness. Followers of Jesus, you are a witness of Jesus' glory, of Jesus' grace, of Jesus' truth, of Jesus' incarnation, of Jesus' salvation. You are that witness, just like John the Baptist. See, because our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit, it is not fire insurance. You've heard that term if you've been a Christian at all. It's not fire insurance. It's not a let me get the bare minimum from you, God, and then continue on with my life as I see it. It's the opposite. It's a heart relationship. It's a submission relationship. It's a God-creator-to-creation relationship in which I say, whatever your agenda, whatever your purpose, whatever brings you glory, that's what I want to be about, Jesus. Your plans, your purpose. My time is your time. My agenda is your agenda. Your truth is my truth. I submit myself to you as a witness to live out and share the love, the power, the grace, and the truth of Jesus Christ to the world, wherever it is that you would send me. And I'm going to do it by His grace. That by His grace, He calls us to be His witness that all men might believe in Jesus. I believe that there is nothing more powerful that we can do than pray and ask God to do just that. 
I believe that there's nothing more important than we can do than draw others into a relationship where we talk about and live out the truth of Jesus Christ, where we make new disciples and we grow new disciples. I believe in our families there's nothing more important that we can do than teach our children. I don't care if your child is two or 82, that we can teach our family about who Jesus is. Where is God calling you to witness for him? Where is he calling you this year, this day, to share, to live out, to witness the truth of who he is? The scripture calls us, even as this wonderful lady wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Amen.